Well, this morning we have a, another guest speaker with us, uh, Mitch Hogeveen. You may be familiar with Mitch because he was here in June uh, when Gracie and I were relaxing in Spain. He came and preached for us then. Mitch and Elizabeth, his wife, they've been married for three and a half years. They have two children, Gracie, who turns two in April, and Ezra, who is two months old. Mitch has a certificate through BriarQuest and has done classes also at TBS. He currently serves as a deacon at Maple Avenue Baptist Church and in various other ministries. He also works as a carpenter, but is working currently toward pastoral ministry. Mitch, we're glad to have you here this morning and come and proclaim God's word to us, brother. Great to be with you guys again uh, this morning. In many ways, I said this last time I was here, but it, it feels like home for me because of the, um, the GFC influence. So um, I was at GFC, Don Mills, um, I think for four or five years there. So um, I, was, I was shaped by that church in a lot of ways. Let me pray for us, though, before we dive into God's word together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a a light to our path and nourishment for our souls. And so we ask now that you would help us to feast upon the glories that are in this passage. Father, help us. Give us eyes to behold you in ways that we haven't seen you or in ways that we need to see you again. And Father, help us to understand um, Christ and his work and what you have accomplished through him um, in this word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, as I work as a carpenter in the Toronto area, uh, my company does a lot of commercial work. So we get to go into different buildings. Um, One of the jobs we're actually bidding on right now is a job on the Toronto Zoo. Um, So I'm a big animal guy, so I really hope we get that one. Um, But one of the buildings we work in is the CBC building downtown Toronto. Um, So there's different levels of security in these Um, facilities. With the CBC building, uh, there's two different access cards you can get. So the first card is a badge you wear around your neck. It says you're allowed in the spaces that we're working in. Um, But the second card is the one that actually opens the door to get into the spaces or the places that we're working in. Um, So if you don't get the second card, you have to ask somebody else to let you in. So I always try to get the second card, but sometimes the security was a little finicky. So either way, What does that have to do with Psalm 24? Well, in Psalm 24, we learn about going into a much more serious place and a much more interesting place as well. Psalm 24 is primarily about going into the presence of God. It emphasizes God as a king and those who would go into his presence. So I think all of us would think twice before waltzing casually into the presence of a king or a nation's leader. Um, There's certain people's presence that changes the way we act. A few days ago, actually, I was driving home and I had picked up some lumber on my way home and there were lights in my rearview mirror. And so I was sure enough I was getting pulled over because the cop wanted to check the weight and my load and everything. Um, And so when you get pulled over, you know, you start to clam up. You might say things a little differently or uh, maybe you're just relaxed, in in which case I envy you uh, in those situations. Um, 
So we change out the way we act in different pers- people's presences. And so the Psalm, Psalm 24, gives us two different access cards, just like the CBC building, to get into the presence of God. So one thing that might be an objection, especially if you're an unbeliever, is why would we want to be in the presence of God? Why should I pursue the presence of God? Well, look with me. We'll jump ahead to to verse 5. Verse 5 says, The person in the presence of God will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So there's blessing, there's righteousness in the presence of God. Or you can flip a few pages back in your Bible to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Look with me at verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The most blessed place in all the world is the presence of God. There's pleasures forevermore. And there's fullness of joy. So being in the presence of God is a a blessed and joyful thing. Remember Adam and Eve? It was great that Peter read Genesis 3 for us. They were with God. They walked with God. They enjoyed the presence of God. And yet they sinned. And sin separated them from God, as we heard. And the rest of mankind was separated along with them. In fact, the rest of the Bible is a dramatic story of a God who wishes to dwell with his people. And yet a people who are bent towards sin. And so they can't approach him. They can't be in the presence of God. They don't know the blessings of knowing him. So our psalm gives us two different access cards into the presence of God. Um, And like with the CBC building, the first card shows that we belong. And the second is the one that actually opens the door. Um, But before we get get to the presence of God, the psalmist starts off telling us a little bit about God. He's got a very important declaration for us. As we go through the text this morning, uh, I have three points. Um, So the first point is from verses 1 and 2. It says, God reigns as the creator. So you can look with me at verse 1. Verse 1 tells us that the earth and all who dwell in it belong to God. God owns the earth and everyone on it. And verse 2 tells us why this is the case. God owns the world because he created the world. God owns the people, the animals, the waters, the land, because he created all of it. Friends, God is the king of creation. He's the king of all of us. So we understand the logic of these verses innately as we go about our lives as human beings. When we make something, um, we hold fast that that it's ours. For those of you who have Younger kids, you might build a fort. Well, whoever it is that builds the fort, it's their fort. And you better consult the master of the fort before you go in, especially if you're a boy or girl and, and you have sisters or brothers. So um, I understand this too with my two-year-old as uh, we build Lego. And it's not so much her that cares about what she builds, but when I build something, I don't want her to take it apart because I'm really proud of what I built. It's mine. She can't touch it. And so in the same way, God created the world. And so it is... His. He is the king. He owns everything in it. Um, or for those of us in business or work, when we come up with an idea or solution, we own it as our own. We identify with what we come up with or what we make. Um, and so God created the world. He reigns over the world. So friends, God is the king over Ontario and over Canada 
From the Rockies to the Prairies to the Maritimes to the Northwest Territories, God reigns over them all. From the southern states to the wilds of Alaska, from the highest heights of the mountains to the lowest parts of the sea, God reigns over them all. From the hottest deserts to the coldest parts of the Arctic, from the most beautiful pieces of paradise to the most wicked parts of this planet, God reigns over them all. From the nations who rage against him to those who long for his kingdom, God reigns over them all. From our neighbors who live next door to those, to those where the gospel has not reached, God reigns over them all. From the most difficult co-workers or family members or relationships that we have to the most dear and godly and kind relationships we have, God reigns over them all. Friends, there's no situation, no human being, no environment. There isn't anything that God does not reign over. He is the king of the world and all who dwell in it. He's the king of creation. And we must hold fast to that truth uh, with all our might. No matter our view of creation, we must maintain that God himself created the world and God himself reigns over the world and he is powerful and sovereign over it. So this is unapologetically the teaching of this passage and we see it in the rest of scripture as well. But what does that mean for us? Well, we must realize that God reigns over us over our situations, our needs, our trials, our weaknesses, our successes, our joys. God reigns over them. Friends, if God is not good, then this is actually bad news. We don't want a bad God ruling over the world or over our lives. But we rejoice that in the Bible, we're given a very clear teaching that God is indisputably and eternally Good. So Exodus 34 proclaims, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and, and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's, children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Friends, God is good and he is just and so it's good that he reigns over all things the implications of these verses are many uh, but let me give a few for us we must remember that god is king when we're in need friends god knows your situation he knows your needs and he cares for his people we ought to go to him, pray to him, cast our cares on him. He owns the world and all those, all its resources. He's able to supply everything we need, both physically and spiritually, in Christ. And so God owns the world and he cares for his, his situation. For those of you who know the, the book of Jonah, God pities an evil nation who, who's rebelled against him and who's wicked beyond measure. And he has mercy on them. God cares for the, the greatest sinner and he pities those who don't know him. And so God knows our need and he is able to supply and meet our needs. We must also remember that God is king as we face difficult relationships. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is able to change any heart, any heart, any person. God is king over our families, our 
coworkers, our kids, our bosses, and he alone has the power to change them. God can change the situations we're in, so we ought to pray and trust him, knowing that he's acting in accordance with his will. We must remember that God is king as we face trials and sufferings. Friends, your afflictions, your sufferings are not a surprise to God. God knows you. He knows your situation, your struggles, your cares. He knows your need. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 assures us that His grace indeed is sufficient for us. So we must remember that our God reigns over everything, over our entire lives. So whether our trials continue or God restores situations or relationships that we're facing, we know that He's in control and He's working for our eternal good. We can trust him and call out to him and lean on him. He is the king. So the psalm begins with this declaration about God's kingship. And now we turn to entering into God's presence. So this is where we'll find out about our first access card into God's presence. Our second point is taken from verses 3 to 6. And it's that God reigns in holiness. So look with me down at verse 3. Verse 3 introduces the question... Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? The psalm is is known as an ascension psalm. It would have been sung or recited by Israel as they returned to the temple, carrying the Ark of the Covenant after God had defeated their enemies in battle. So that's why the psalm starts off highlighting God's kingship. And the psalm ends highlighting God's strength in battle. The psalm is is about Israel singing, as they approached the temple, rejoicing that God was with them in defeating their enemies. So the psalm celebrates God's work for Israel. Um, But if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that God didn't always fight for Israel. In fact, sometimes he used other nations to fight against Israel. So what is it about Israel and their actions that changed if God would fight for them or against them? Well, that's the answer, not only to uh, this question, but also the question in our psalm. So look again with me at verse, th- uh, verse 4. It says, uh, Those who ascend the hill of the Lord, those who stand in his holy place, are to have clean hands and a pure heart. I, I really enjoy this phrase as it gets at both our actions and our hearts, our, what we do and the motives behind that. So in Matthew 23, um, jo- Jesus pronounces, woes against the scribes and Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Earlier in the chapter, um, Jesus condemns them, saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would to go in. And so, um, because their, their hearts didn't match their actions, they were not only dis- disciplined from God, but they were shut out of the presence of God. Friends, we cannot simply appear righteous or holy. We cannot simply be better than the average Christian or better than the average person and enter into the presence of God. No, the only way into God's presence is inner and outer holiness. That's why in Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus ups 
the ante. He says, uh, he takes murder and says, even anger is just as sinful. He takes adultery and says, even lust is just as sinful. He condemns all sin, both inward and outer, outward, and calls us to be perfect, like our Heavenly Father is perfect. Pure heart, clean hands. So the access card that shows us we belong to God's kingdom and showed Israel they were in God's blessing was and is holiness. Um, Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace without, with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Friends, those who, are, who dwell in the presence of God, those who go to the presence of God, are and must be holy. So let us pursue holiness with all our might, with all our vigor. Let us resist the way Hebrews calls us to earlier in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's a serious fight. Friends, let, let me ask you, how has your struggle against sin been lately? Are you resisting with all your might, as the scriptures call us to? Are you fighting with all your zeal? Let us not grow weary of the fight, but pick up arms alongside one another and strive for holiness so that we might enjoy the fullness of joy at the presence of God. If your struggle against sin hasn't been what it needs to be, why not talk to your brothers and sisters here this morning or talk to them today about it. Tell them you've given ground to the enemy and you need their help. If you've made excuses for your flesh, if you're falling away from righteousness, reach out to your brothers and sisters. We're here to support and encourage one another and help one another. Talk to a mature believer and take up your sword and fight for your life as that is what's at stake. As the battle goes on, we must encourage one another as we see God's grace in our lives. This helps us to be motivated to fight sin. And helps those who are falling around us. We, if we see that, we, we have to be quick to remind and encourage one another. And remind them that Jesus paid it all. We don't need to wallow in worldly sorrow. But rather, we can, return, we can return to God, repent of our sins, and find forgiveness and joy in his presence again. Look with me again at verse 5. So we, we saw this earlier. But we see the rewards of holiness. And we see the blessings of being in the presence of God. It says, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So we know that even now as Christians, we cannot perfectly obey God. Um, we know that our holiness will never be what it needs to be or what it ought to be. And yet even here we see glimmers of the gospel shining through. God sent Jesus not only to die for our sins and pay the penalty, but also to live righteously before him as a man. In order that being united to him, we might also be made righteous. Jesus took our sins, all of our sins, and died for us so that we might become his righteousness. Friends, as we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ, we receive righteousness from God through Christ. We are counted as pure in heart with clean hands. Verse 6 expands us to all who would seek God. We cannot attain the holiness we need to be made right with God on our own. We must go to God while he may be found and believe in the Holy One, Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's interesting here that 
Uh, the psalmist highlights seeking the face of the God of Jacob. You'll see that at the end of verse 6. So in verse 4, the psalmist says that the one to stand in God's pres- presence must not swear deceitfully. Um, but then here, um, he says the, the name Jacob instead of Israel, when Jacob means uh, deceiver. Um, and then furthermore, he mentions seeking the face of God. And in Genesis 32, um, Jacob tells us that he saw God face to face and lived. Jacob wrestled with God, and he received blessing from God as a result. Here we're called to seek God's face, and we receive blessing and righteousness as a result from seeking him. So let us seek God and receive righteousness that we, that we might be able to stand in his presence. Now, that's our first access card, and that's the one that comes on a lanyard. It shows you belong in the presence of God. It's outward. It's visible. And then the third section of our psalms where we find our second access card. So you can look with me at verses 7 to 10. 7 to 10, the third point is God reigns in victory, or God reigns victorious. So this is the card that actually opens the door into the presence of God. So this, like the previous section, is in liturgical form. That means um, there, you'd have two different voices speaking. Um, and it's, it's an iconic scene. Um, and it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture because it doesn't just describe or tell us something, um, but it puts us in what's happening in real time in Israel and foreshadows something great that will happen in the days to come. So um, some iconic scenes I think like that this one reminds me of is for those of you who have seen Lord of the Rings, you have Gandalf in the Mines of Moria saying, you shall not pass. Um, or for those who are younger and into the Marvel movies, um, you have Iron Man defeating Thanos saying, I am Iron Man. Or um, this one's less intense, um, but everyone knows the line from Forrest Gump, run, Forrest, run. Um, we, we know, we remember these iconic scenes. And so the psalmist, in a similar way, is trying to paint an iconic scene for us to remember. He's trying to give us a picture um, for us to remember God and to remember things about God and his presence. So this scene is a king's procession back to his throne after being successful in battle. Those who are with the king approach the gate and they shout, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. So those at the gate question, who is this king of glory? And then the people with the king, they shout in response, Yahweh, strong and mighty, Yahweh, mighty in battle. You think that once would be enough, but the psalmist continues, the procession shouts, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And again, the watchman asks, Who is this King of glory? Yahweh of hosts. He is the King of glory. Friends, our God is not some distracted, uninterested grandfather in the sky. No, he's he's the victorious King of glory. Think of how often and with what kind of vigor Israel would have been able to sing this song about God. God fought for them, defeating enemy after enemy. We think of the the battle of Jericho where they walk around and and they uh, use their trumpets and the walls come falling down. God miraculously defeats their enemies. Or with Gideon and his 300 men defeating the enemy. Or in Joshua 10 where God sends hailstones from heaven to defeat Israel's enemy. God 
fought for Israel, and he was victorious. He reigned as king over them and over the world. Friends, God is not to be trifled with. He's the king of glory, strong and mighty, who reigns over all creation. And we think of examples like Nadab and Abihu, uh, or in Acts 5 with Sapphira, and people being struck dead for entering the presence of God in the wrong manner. God is not to be trifled with. He is strong and mighty, mighty in battle. And so how then, how then do we get access to the presence of God? How can we, who are sinful, approach such a mighty, holy God? Well, we've talked already about Jesus' righteousness and him taking on our sins, making us righteous. But this psalm points forward to an even greater battle than the ones that I mentioned. Um, This battle wasn't against flesh and blood and isn't against flesh and blood. Jesus came to fight the final battle and to defeat God's enemies once and for all. Just so that we feel the weight of it. I'm going to read a few verses throughout the New Testament, one from the Old, as we we think about Jesus defeating our enemies. Isaiah 25, 8 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will take away, he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Galatians 1, 3-5 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Colossians 2.15 says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.24-25 says, Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 2 Timothy 1.10 says that Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hebrews 2.14-15 says that through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, who through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. 1 John 3.8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Finally, Revelation 17, 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Friends, Jesus is the King of glory who defeated God's enemies, who defeated our enemies, and who reigns now and forevermore. Jesus conquered sin. He conquered Satan, and he conquered death, and there is nobody who can stay his hand. Jesus returned to his Father's side, and I'm sure the gates of heaven were not quiet on that day, just as on the day when Jesus ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. And all who are with, who are his, will shout, Who is this King of glory? And we know the answer. Yahweh and the Lamb. They are the King of glory. Friends, our King Jesus is victorious and he will reign forever. So that's our second access card. Jesus' victory is the way into the presence of God. Jesus defeats 
our enemies, Satan, sin, and death, and brings us into the presence of God himself. So holiness proves that we belong there, but Jesus is the one who opens the door through his death and resurrection. So now that we've walked through the text, I have three points of reflection, three R's, um, as we seek to respond to it. So the first is that we rejoice in Christ's victory. Friends, we ought to rejoice that Jesus defeated our enemy and he reigns over all. Satan does not reign. Sin does not reign. We fight a battle that has already been won for us. Can you imagine being in an army, a small army, and having to go to fight this great war where you're, where you're greatly outnumbered? Now, many of us would be driven to, to fear or want to run away. But what if you knew how the battle would end? Would that change how you fought? Would that change how you felt in the midst of the battle? Well, I think it would. We, we might still be in the battle now, but Jesus has already won the war against Satan's sin and death. He defeated our enemies and he reigns in power over them. So as we're in the battle, we ought to rejoice in Christ's victory, knowing that he defeated all sin and all death. More than that, uh, the king who reigns is the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And so we can rejoice no matter our situation, no matter our trials, knowing that Jesus won. He won and he's going to bring us home. Um, so we have ample cause to rejoice. The second R is rest in Christ's holiness. Rest in Christ's holiness. So on our own, we could never earn that badge showing that we belong to the presence of God. We could never earn God's favor. All we deserve is death and punishment because of our sin, like Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. But Jesus did what we could not. He lived the perfect life, always maintaining clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus never lifted up his soul to what is fault. He never swore deceitfully. Jesus was perfectly righteous, and so now we can be made righteous too. Let us rest in Christ's righteousness always repenting of our sin, always rejoicing that we're clothed in Him, clothed in His righteousness, knowing we gain access into God through Christ's work, not our own work, frees us to acknowledge our sin. It frees us to, to be humble about our sin and to repent. We don't have to have a perfect record. We will never have a perfect record. So we must not let Satan use the, the guilt of our sin to keep us from turning back to God and receiving forgiveness. But rather, let us, let us rest and repent of our sins and find joy in God's presence again. So that's our second R. The third R is run to the presence of God. Friends, God is king over all. He is holy, he is strong, and he is mighty. And yet he has made a way for sinners like us to be in his presence like we were created to be. Why would we turn to the fleeting things of this world when the fullness of joy is found in God's presence? Why turn to sin when righteousness and blessing wait for us in God's presence? Let us pursue with all our might the presence of God now in the ways we can and eternally. We can experience the, the joy of communing with him in our day-to-day -day life as we read our Bibles, as we pray, as we fellowship with the brothers and sisters, as we fast and do other means of grace and 
find the joy of knowing God. So friends, let us throw off the sins and weights that so easily entangle us and hinder us, and let us run the race, pursuing the presence of God in every way that we can. And let us not lose sight of the joy in the presence of God that we will know when Christ brings us home once and for all. That, that iconic scene of Jesus returning with his processional to the, to the gates of heaven uh, is one I cannot wait for and I eagerly wait for. Um, and I think we, we ought to pursue the joy of worshiping God. It's a joy to come on Sunday mornings and worship God, but it's a joy to worship God on our own as well. Um, you can ask my wife that um, our family devotion times sometimes end up with uh, me in tears, not because like, bad things are happening, but because it's, it's a joy. It's such a joy for me to sing with my daughter and my wife. And um, it's embarrassing in the moment because she's fine and she's talking to me normally, but I'm losing it. And I shouldn't be, but it's just a joy to worship God as a family. And so whether we have kids and we can worship God, God together uh, or we're single and we can worship God on our own, um, we ought to enjoy the, the, the joy of worshiping God. Um, but ultimately, this life is just a breath. Uh, it's short. So let's live with gospel urgency, sharing the gospel with all who would listen and eagerly awaiting the return of our great king. So Billy Graham famously said, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Friends, God has made a way for us to be in his presence eternally um, through holiness in Christ and through Christ's victory. So may we also lay a hold of the access we've been given to God's presence through Christ. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we do not have clean hands. We do not have a pure heart. We have lifted up our souls to what is false. We have sworn deceitfully. And yet, in your kindness, in your grace, you sent your Son to die for all of our sins. And he lived the righteous life so that we might be clothed in his righteousness. Father, we rejoice this morning in your son. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death and his resurrection. And, oh, Father, we long for his return. And we ask that as we go through the coming weeks, you would fill us with gospel hope and uh, a zeal to be in your presence now and to share the joys of being in your presence with those we know. And Father, we ask that you would help us to, to remember that you reign over all and you have won the battle. And so we ought, to, ought not to lose heart in our fight against sin um, or in the situations and trials we face. But help us, Father, to have joy uh, in Christ and to rejoice as we ought to. In Jesus' name, amen.